Well, hello. Oh, wow, that's weird. I don't like this. Um, uh, so, tonight I'm speaking on three things that really could be a sermon on their own. Uh, Dan recently spoke on one of them. Um, that's just one thing that I'm just going to touch on gently. But uh, a question that I really do want one of you to answer. Can you give me a definition of a fan? Not like a ceiling fan. A, a fan of something. There you go. That's, that's a good one. If you go on dictionary.com, the definition that it will give you it will be enthusiastic devotee. Now, what about a follower? One who follows. <laughs> uh, it says, a person who takes something and imitates model and models after it. In um, 1 Peter 2, 2.21... It says, For to this you have been called, because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example, so that you might follow in his steps. Uh, question, a different question I don't want you to answer. Uh, would you rather just get high fives from Jesus, like you see after the games, on the football, after the football games, or would you have him wash your feet and know him personally like the disciples did? Um, I have a funny story, actually. My Uncle David, he used to be the biggest... He denies it to this day, but he was the biggest Gator fan when he was a little kid, probably around two or three years old. And it was Florida Georgia weekend. Um, and uh, the story is that he um, was about three years old, and he went to the, these big biker guys that were sitting um, down by the landing. And he was telling them how bad the, uh, the Gators were going to beat the Bulldogs that year and all that kind of stuff. So wh- what about him? Was he a fan or was he a follower? I'd say fan. Got one fan? Anybody else? So fan for everybody. All right. Now, um, I was looking through the I was looking through the Bible the other day after I was going over all my notes after I'd written this, and it's, and I was looking. I went. I came across where the, some of the disciples were called, and I read uh, some of the accounts, and it says all that Jesus says to most of them is, "Follow me." That's all he says. He uh, he he's not. He doesn't say anything fancy. He just says, "Follow me." What in the? I mean. I follow Jesus. So, I mean, when uh, just to, to follow God is a ginormous commitment that most people don't understand. If you've ever seen Life of Pi, he says, he asks a lot of questions before he comes to faith in God. He just, he just asks, why would somebody that high and mighty send his only son to die for me? I can't understand that love. And... Um, the first thing I'm going to speak on tonight is being unequally yoked, as in with a relationship. And it's in 2 Corinthians uh, chapter 6, verses 14 through 18. Uh-oh, where's that? There we go. It says, uh, Do not be unequally yoked with unbelievers, for what partnership has righteousness with lawlessness, or what fellowship has light with darkness? What accord has Christ with Belial, which is another word for Satan, or what portion does a believer share with an unbeliever? What agreement has the temple of God with idols, for we are the temple of the living God? As God said, I will make my dwelling among them, and, I, and walk among them, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. Therefore, go out from their midst and separate from them, says the Lord, and touch no unclean thing. Then I will welcome you, and I will be a father to you. And you shall be sons and daughters to me, says the Lord Almighty. Now, if you look, um, the Bible was first written in Hebrew and then to Greek. And if you go back to um, the Greek uh, definition of yoked, it comes from the Greek compound word heterozugio, which means to yoke up differently, associate discordantly, or unequally yoke together. Um, most people might take this to be really radical, 
and assume it to friendships or uh, just anything, any kind of minor commitment. But just as First Peter said, it says leaving you an example. And when God, or not God, when Jesus was on the earth, who did, what were the people that he hung out with? Did he hang out with the people that went to church, the Sadducees, the Pharisees? No. He hung out with the tax collectors, the prostitutes, all the low-life people, technically, um, that were looked down upon by the Pharisees and the Sadducees. He didn't um, all the time hang out, hang out with them. Um, for the unequally yoked, uh, for ten months... I was in an uh, unequally yoked relationship, and it really pulled me apart from God. There's, you know, some people might think that it wouldn't do that, that even if the person is a good person, that it wouldn't do anything. But I can promise you that by my own experience, from the time that I started and from the time that it, I ended it, that each day it was just I was getting farther and farther away from God. It never, I never got any closer until Dan actually gave us a book to read. Oh, I left it back there. Um, but uh, that if, you, if you're in an unequally yoked relationship, you know, there's a saying that we kind of have, uh, flirt to convert. It's, it's probably not going to work. Um, it's, very, it's very difficult to get somebody to come to Jesus after you start dating them because um, they, they, they have already gotten you to go against the Bible in one way. But um, the second point is uh, glorifying God, and uh, that's in 1 Corinthians ten thirty-one through thirty-three. And it says, "So whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. Give no offense to Jews or to Greeks or to the Church of God. Just as I try to please everyone in everything I do, not seeking my own advantage, but that of many, that 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 they may be saved." Um, when I read that ver- when I read that uh, passage of verses, um, what said to me it was that it, we're we're supposed to show God's love to everyone, not just to, to our friends, not just to the rich the rich people that might give us money, just to everyone with unconditional love. And if you don't know what unconditional love is, um, it is a loving without expecting anything in return, not giving. Hmm, an example for this. Hmm. Do I have an example? But there is uh, conditional love, which is doing something and expecting something in return. Say you're just going to, like having a job, you, do, you work for that person and you expect them to give you money. Um, but uh, unconditional love, it says in 30, just as it says in verse 33, just as I try to please everyone in everything I do, not seeking my own advantage. That's basically what unconditional love is, not, not trying to get anything from it. And then... Um, for, and then Daniel 9 9 says, I don't like standing. I'm going to get a stool. Alright. Uh, it says in Daniel 9 9 that. To the Lord our God belong mercy and forgiveness, for we have rebelled against Him. There's so many, so many times that we don't fall, that we have just rebelled against God. Uh, Adam and Eve in the garden, especially then, they they rebelled against God in the holy way. He only gave them one rule, and they broke that rule. Um, how can 
uh, when your siblings break a rule and um, they get off free, what does that do to you? It, it doesn't. It's not. It doesn't make you happy. And God basically, He didn't get. He didn't let Adam and Eve off the hook, but He didn't. He just. He just showed them love that. Personally, I couldn't understand. If I gave you one rule and you broke that rule, I'd be pretty mad. But uh, um, we have rebelled against Him and fallen short, but still He loves us no matter what. I can't... Every, every time I try to think about God's love towards us, it's still... I can't fathom it. For so many... For parents... Um, I hope none of you are parents. But for parents... Um, could you send the or just think about it? Could you send your son or daughter to to be crucified like that? Crucifixion is a humiliation thing. It is, um, and it's very very painful. They, he, Christ died the ultimate, the most painful and humiliating way, just so that we may one day be with God. And of course, I have. Uh, I'm not going to do the next two verses then. And of course I have uh, being a follower of Jesus with Ephesians 5, 1 through 2. And it says, Therefore be imitators of God as beloved children, and walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. And um, the imitator goes back to being a follower of, of a follower of something. Um, as it says, person who takes something and Im- imitates and models after it. Um, and uh, we sh- um, what also I got from that verse is, as I said before, we should just love as Christ has loved us. Um, being a follower of Jesus is a very difficult thing. That's all I can. I can't. I don't really have a lot of fillers. But. In 1 John uh, chapter 2, verses 4-6, through 6, uh, it says, Whoever says, I know him, but does not keep his commandments, is a liar, and the truth is not in him. But whoever keeps his word in him, truly the love of God is perfected. By this we may know that we are in him. Whoever says he abides in him ought to walk in the same way in which he walked. Um, verse 6 goes back to the de- uh, definition of being followers or something as well. It says... Whoever says he abides in him ought to walk in the same way in which he walked, in which he left us his example in First Peter. Um, uh, if, we, if we keep his word, one day we're going to be rewarded. And uh, I, we were in Bible class um, this past year, and we were going over parables, and we came across a parable uh, uh, called the lost sheep. And um, the parable, there's uh, two accounts of it. I'm only going to read the second one. Uh, it's a more detailed uh, version. It says, it's basically um, a shepherd and a sheep, but and uh, the sheep represent us, and the shepherd represents God. So he told them this parable. What man of you, having a hundred sheep, if he has lost one of them, does not leave the ninety-nine in the open country and go after the one that is lost until he finds it? And when he has found it, he lays it on his shoulders, rejoicing. And when he comes home, he calls together his friends and his neighbors, saying to them, Rejoice with me, for I have found my sheep that was lost. Just so I tell you, that there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over ninety-nine righteous persons who need no repentance. 
I want to read the last verse again. Just so I tell you, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who need no repentance. Being a follower of Jesus, when you, when, you, when you do become a follower of Jesus, think about every angel, every seraphim, God, Jesus, the Holy Spirit, think about all of them rejoicing over the fact that you have, are no longer a sinner, that you are a follower of Jesus, and you, one day you will be welcomed in, into heaven with open arms. What, what can you say about that? Now with the book, uh, I'm gonna, can you bring the book up here? This book um, actually changed my life in many ways. If uh, it was not for this book, I guarantee you that I would not be standing here right now, and I probably would have stopped going to church. Uh, and each, after each chapter, there is a, a not a fan story that shows you um, what people have gone through. And this one is about Shelby Draper. It says, I've been going to the doctor... Been, I have been going to doctor after doctor since I was about seven years old, complaining of pain in my legs. Until I was in middle school, the doctors always dismissed it as growing pains. Then when I was 16, with hopes of a driver's license and a first kiss, my life changed. My trip to this doctor's office was different. I would receive news that I was being, I was being prepared for spiritually, but undone by emotionally. After a regular physical examination, the doctor said these unforgettable words that would change my life forever. Shelby... You can get up off the floor on your own today, but within three years, you won't be able to get, off by yourself, get up by yourself ever again. In the midst of shock, my first feeling after hearing those words was surprisingly an overwhelming peace. In that moment, I rested in knowing that God has a plan for me. My mother and I walked out that day and just sat in the car. I can still remember the sound of her weeping in disbelief. Every tear I cry over the excruciating pain I feel from just trying to keep up with the pace of every other teenager. I now surrender to the promise of a new day when I would be victorious over muscular dystrophy. My doctor might be right in saying that in the future I may not be able to pick myself up on my own. However, I, feel, I kind of feel that like that's the way it's meant for everyone. We aren't supposed to be able to pick ourselves up. He not only picks me up, he carries me. Because truly, apart from him, I can do nothing. Through this pain, my faith, ha- my faith has become real to me in a different way. I am learning what it means to be completely dependent upon my Savior. I cannot and will not follow Jesus in the dark. I won't hide behind my weaknesses and disease. I will follow Him in the light, and I will live in hope and faith. Jesus alone gives me grace each new morning with the rising of the sun. In an ironic way, muscular dystrophy has saved me. It has saved me from being just a fan of Jesus. I, no longer, I, no lo- I now long to follow Him so closely that He can snatch me up the second I start to hit the floor. My name is Sophie Draper, and I'm not a fan. What would you do if you had muscular dystrophy, knowing the fact that one day you're not going to be able to walk on your own, just in your 20s? I know many of you in here are uh, athletes, play sports. Um, muscular dystrophy, just it. there's no cure for it. It just destroys um, your, your muscles, your tendons, your ligaments, until eventually... You just you're just sitting there, and you can't do anything. You can't take care of yourself. You can't talk, and eventually it just withers you away. Um, but I took from, some notes from this book, and um, wherever, whenever, whatever, to spread the to spread the gospel, going where it's illegal, at school, maybe even home, if you're uh, if you're in that situation, no matter when, uh, when God, no matter. When, when God calls you, you need to go. It can be as simple as going and talking to the lonely kid at school. We all know 
that there is that one kid that sits alone at lunch. It doesn't have to be saving multitudes of people. It just has to be going up to that one kid to save a life. Next, uh, You're going to see that movie next week. Um, just like in that movie, there there's a lonely kid, and he goes up to him, and he basically saves that kid's life. Um, but a fan is close enough to get all the benefits, but they're not that close to where anything is really required from them. That's what a fan is. Um, have you made a commitment to, to Jesus, or are you just believing in Him? Because there is a difference. Jesus is looking for a commitment. That way He sees that commitment is through the way you live your life. We come to Jesus by faith, but we show the faith that we have in Jesus through our works, even the tiniest of works. Um, another thing about Bible class, Mr. Burchett, he would always pick on me because I'm, I'm thinking about being a missionary, and he, he always always tell me about Romania and how... Um, what happened to those people that were in Romania, how uh, they tortured them or anything like that. But following Jesus costs you everything. Would it still be worth it? Because that's what he wants. That's all I have. Let's give a big hand again.